Hi, Caitlin. Hi. What's going on? Why don't why don't I I can't give my news until you give your news. So let's give your news first. Well, everybody, we've expanded the crime culture family. Yes, we have. It's very exciting news. Uh, usually we record the podcast on. Excuse me. There's a very loud and rude <laughs> motorcycle outside. Uh, we record the podcast usually on Sundays. But last week, we recorded on Saturday because last Sunday. she did not Sunday, tell me why. She did no, the engagement thing again. Yes. I didn't tell you why because I knew we wouldn't finish the episode if I did. So. No, we wouldn't uh, have gotten it started. Last Sunday, Elliot and I went to go pick up a little baby. A cat. cat. I was about to say, I was about to say, choose your words, choose your words. It's a kitten. Uh, His name is Bean. He's black and white. Anyone that follows my personal Instagram, there's a couple of listeners that follow my personal Instagram that I saw creeping on my story. I see you guys. I know you guys. Um, They'll have seen him already, but we will post on the crime culture uh, Instagram. I just want to clarify. Mo. Was is the consummate always podcast? Podcast. Yeah. Well, that's but like Felix and Marcia. Yes. They but exist. I don't live with I don't live with Mo. No. Uh. So Bean. We don't live with each other. So that's why it all works. Yes. Bean will be um climbing into your lap any minute now. Yes. <laughs> uh, he's under my desk currently. So <gasps> you might be able to hear him. Oh, I can. He's loud. So you might be able to hear him at some points during the episode. Um, <laughs> Caitlin and I record this on a video call, so like she's seeing everything going on right now. Um, but just and to I narrate, am losing my shit because oh my god, he fits in one hand. Like he's very tiny. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just want to uh, up top give a quick shout out because uh, we rescued Bean. And oh. uh, it's important. I don't for know why I to, say, oh, like I didn't know this, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. It's important for you to uh, consider rescuing an animal because uh, they're in need. So uh, thanks, West Orange TNVR, which is the rescue group we got him from, and his foster family, uh, Jimmy and Ollie and the whole foster family. Uh, such great people when we went to go pick him up. So knowledgeable, gave us so much information um, because this is my first cat. Oh. Never had one before. My dad is highly allergic, so mm. I was never able to have one. And, um, yeah, this is very exciting. So he's been with us for a week, and when we first got him, don't worry, we'll get to the episode in a second. Just a little, <laughs> quick cat talk. Uh, when we first got him, uh, he hid for about nine hours, um, like, just wouldn't come out from under the couch. And then as I was on a video call with my other friend, Caitlin, um, he popped his head out, used the litter box, started screaming, and just ran around the entire apartment. So I was like, I got to call you back. And um, yeah, he's been cute and adorable and snuggly ever since. So that's Bean. He's quite snuggly. I mean, as he should be. You're the mama. I am the mama. And he has been snuggling me for the past few days. (laughs) And... He is great. With no mercy. No mercy, no mercy. for these snuggles. Um, but in case you don't care about cats, which 
I don't think you're really welcome on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, just to, just to be honest. You don't have to want one. Just, like, appreciate uh, just be nice our to love animals. of them. Yeah. Like I was not a cat like person. Birds. That's true. Well, I'm an everything person. Yeah, I'm a I, pet if person. It's, if it if it's snuggles me, I'll snuggle it back. And that's, that's about that. Oh. You're going to get mauled by a bear one day. <laughs> One hundred percent. I'll guy. be trying to pet it. Yes. Yeah. Oh look, it's a teddy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wrong. Um, but that was Cat Corner, and now we are um, into the episode. Just so you're aware, if you hear cat screaming in the background, he's perfect. He has. I will. I will fight the for lungs. Him. He has the lungs of an opera singer. <laughs> so that's that. Um, now we are going to be getting into the episode and I actually had a lot of fun, uh, researching this episode and I think it's actually really important to talk about. So this episode is, um, all, uh, laws that were, um, put into place, uh, based on certain true crime events. Oh. And it's crazy that, um, we need to have some of these laws yeah. And when you hear it, you're like, this should be, like, obvious. Why did this terrible thing need to happen for this this law to to be put into effect? Right. But, yeah, sometimes uh, if there's a rule or a law, that means someone or something did that so that uh, it could be talked about. Yeah. Which is terrible. Sometimes. So we're just... Connecticut yeah, We're just going to go a through law. a couple of them. Connecticut's got a law where you can't walk across the street on your hands so huh something happened isn't there, there. Some, <laughs> isn't there some place in like oklahoma that you can't have like a ice cream cone in your left pocket what yeah it's one of those like there's like some ice cream cone law how else some... would you carry an ice cream cone i don't know man <laughs> and i don't know why that needs to be a, why what what terrible thing happened that that needed to be a law yeah that's what i that's the one thing that i think of with all of these i'm like all right so who did something they shouldn't have like for example the one in connecticut i'm almost positive um pt barnum and his circus started in connecticut so immediately like when i hear that i go okay so one of the carnies yeah one of the carnies got a little too lit one day (laughs) yeah (laughs) and something but the ice cream cone if you're in oklahoma please explain I think it's Oklahoma or Nebraska. It's one of those states. If you're if you're in a state that grows corn and you have this law, please explain. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, some of these we will have done full episodes on, so I won't go into too much detail. Okay. Um, and some of these I don't have like a ton of information on, but we're just going to dive right in. We have a couple of them. Yeah, sure. So the Splash first one flash. is called Carrie's Law with a K. K-A-R-I. Not that Carrie. No. So on December 1st, 2013, Carrie Dunn took her three children to see her estranged husband, Brad, in a motel room in Marshall, Texas. Carrie had begun seeing someone new two weeks into the process of ending their 10-year marriage. The separated couple went into the motel bathroom to talk, but Brad instead pulled out a knife and stabbed Carrie 21 times while their nine-year-old daughter struggled to call 911. Oh, my God. Yeah. Fucking horrible. 
So the motel phone required a user to dial nine before the phone number. Yeah. So the little girl didn't know that. So she wasn't able to call the police. So she's she's frantically dialing 911, 911. It's not going through. It's not going through. Which is like, if it's an emergency Horrible. number, you shouldn't have to dial something. No. Before that. I work in a, in an office building that you have to dial 91 before you dial any phone number. Like that's just the outgoing code for something. But I would like to think if I needed to call the police, I mean, the police work in my building, so I literally need to just dial their extension and then get them. But if I needed to call 911 for something, I'd like to think that like I wouldn't be hindered in getting help. Right. So Carrie's law was first enacted in Texas and then signed into federal law by President Donald <laughs> Trump in February 2018. <laughs> He's disgusting. I mean, at least he did this right. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> I'm so tired. I was gonna, you know what? At least he did this right, but there was also a video of him signing a blank piece of paper. So fucking, he probably didn't <laughs> he even know what he was signing. He was practicing how to write his name. Jesus, what comes next, Donnie? Uh, Q. No, Donnie. <laughs> <It's-> <laughs> so in February 2018, uh, Carrie's law made it mandatory for multi-line telephone systems to have a way to dial 911 that bypasses any normally required codes prior to dialing, which should be uh, yeah. a no-brainer. Yeah. But while I was looking this up, I don't I don't have the information written down exactly, so I'm just going off memory. But as I was looking it up, there were a couple of articles talking about how this is going to be um, a real problem for like motels and businesses and stuff huh. because the the way you have to I don't know if it's like the way you have to wire the phones or the way you have to like pay for the phones to have a different line like it might like be financially uh problem problematic for some of these places i just think like you should waive any fee for that yeah why why should you have to dial a code before dialing 911 like i mean if you're an adult maybe you you would know but like in a crisis situation you're not thinking about that you're thinking i need help right now and also it's not always i know an the adult. number is 911 yeah it's not like, always this, an it, adult look at that it was a 9 year old kid yeah yeah, um, but and she she at least had the wherewithal to pick up the phone and was able to dial nine one one after her mother was in such distress. Yeah, well, and the but, fact that that too, even like it shouldn't be that difficult. It's yeah. It. What I want to know though is why can't it like why is there a reason specifically why? And if you if you don't know this, if anybody works in a hotel or has worked in a hotel and knows the answer to this. Is there a reason why you have to dial like a certain number before you dial out? I, for, at least for my office, um, I know that like we're all on, like you can have multiple phones on the same phone line. And if oh. you dial out, then I think it ties up that phone line, I believe. But okay. if you use the code, then you're only using your specific location phone. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like I was never explained this when I worked in the office. I was no. just told, "Hey, dial nine one before you dial a phone number." Um, but I think that's what the deal is with that. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I don't know. I just that's what, and that would make sense. I just wasn't sure, and it it confused me because like, could it be something as simple as, okay, you dial nine, 
if you're dialing like out of state or something, but anything else you just dial regularly. Like I don't, I didn't know if it was something where that could be, if, if there was some way to like mitigate the issues that people yeah. are expecting yeah, or saying they will have. I didn't see too much specifics into that. Hmm. Um, the next one is Laura's Law. And 19-year-old Laura Wilcox was on spring break from Haverford College in Pennsylvania when she decided to pick up temp work for extra money at the Nevada County Department of Mental Health in California. Wilcox was working on January 10th, 2001, when Scott Thorpe, who was suffering from untreated paranoia and mental illness, entered the mental health building and began shooting. Wilcox oh. died due to multiple bullet wounds. Thorpe was found not guilty by reason of insanity and resides at Nap Napa State Hospital today. Um, How so sad. Laura's, yeah, I mean it's sad for both parties. Like yeah, this person that's what went I mean. untreated for a mental illness and then committed this horrible act, and this person was just trying to pick up some extra work by doing some temp work right. and happened to be avoided. in this location. Yeah. So uh, California's Laura's Law allows individuals in the state to use aggressive methods in detaining and treating mentally ill individuals. A mental health official can interview an individual and then a judge can mandate psychiatric treatment for the individual if needed. The law hopes to assist individuals like Thorpe in receiving the care they need when they don't realize that they need it. Right. Yeah. So right. it's terrible that that has to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, but... It does. Like if you're mm -hmm. if you're mentally ill, you you need help. And sometimes your mental illness will tell you that you don't you don't think you need it or you think the people who are trying to help you are in some way evil or I don't know. Just yeah. I mean so, mental illness so is terrible. tricky. And it it may not even be that person's fault. Like they could come from a family where mental illness is not dealt with it's swept under the rug yeah. and you, it, you like where it's so stigmatized like okay well you can't go on ssris or on antipsychotics because then what if somebody finds out or even like the whole yeah. like in the military when i when i worked for the navy we were told if you are on any kind of mental health medication you have to tell us. Like, that's I can, stigmatizing. I can see, yeah, but I can see, like, if you're working in such a sensitive field that, like, if you are on some mood-stabilizing medication or so, or some type of medication for, um, for mental health and you miss medications or something and then you still go to work, what if something terrible can happen because uh, you weren't on your your medication that can correct your mind sort of I, I don't know I, I can see that but at the same time that's like for example if you didn't tell them and they found out you would be punished yeah like it's that's it's so it's, tricky with mental yeah, illness it's 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 we're not nearly like obviously we're doing better in terms of addressing it and destigmatizing it than we were even like five years ago but yeah. It's there's still a lot of gray area that needs to be worked through. And yeah. like, what do you do in those situations? Like, I, I know people who haven't who ha haven't gotten help because they were afraid that their employer would find out. 
And yeah, it, it can be very, I mean, I, for the longest time, I didn't get help because yeah. it was drilled into my head by, I, I won't say who, but I'm sure we could imagine that my employer would find out, that my, my alma mater would find out when I was a student at the time, that like all these people would find out. And I had pretty severe depression, unchecked, un, like medicated, none of it for- yeah. Oh God, how many years? Like over 10 years. And it, there's so many factors that play into it too. Cause it's the, uh, it's your family, it's your race, mm-hmm. your religion, uh, your job. Um, just so many different things can factor into how you get help, what you do to get help. If you choose to be medicated, if you choose to just go through th- therapy, um, the severity of the mental illness, what yeah. it specifically is, because there's so many, there's a wide spectrum of things that yeah. could be going on. And stuff that we haven't um, even really discovered yet. Yeah. But yeah, it's terrible. That, that's just one of those things that you're like, God damn it. Like that had to happen to like two, those two people, their lives were ruined. Yeah. Laura Wilcox had to die to, cause she was in that place like just so happened to be in that place and scott thorpe was suffering and committed this horrible act probably like not even not even consciously maybe yeah like it's just so terrible Well, i think that regardless whether he was like not consciously doing it either way he was not in his right mind he wasn't in the right state of mind so he wasn't like to even say it wasn't really him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. It's, it's like if something takes you over. Yeah, and it's whatever voice was right. going on his head. doesn't have to be exactly a, a voice. A literal but, voice, yeah. Yeah. Just whatever instinct, whatever was happening there. I mean, and it's just, it's so sad. And I wouldn't even say that it was, I mean, obviously their lives were ruined. But then their family's lives, their friends' lives like her co-workers yeah. lives i mean yes yeah it, it the trickle down effect affects yeah. so many people yeah. and that's why you have to make a law like that because you're like this can't happen again yeah and, like, and it can't never happens see to this, just one yeah we can't see that this is a problem and then have it happen again that's no irresponsible you hear that um so my next one is one of i think there was a couple new jersey specific ones and Ooh. i know i notice it because i'm from jersey but like I was like, wow, there's a couple on this list. Is one so this one is you must uh, GTL. Pam- yes. Okay. This one is Pamela's Law. So Pamela Schmidt arrived at her boyfriend Bill Pariso's home on March 12th, 2011, to end their relationship. Mm. Pariso had been battling drug addiction for years, and Schmidt had reportedly grown tired of trying to help him. After the breakup, Schmidt slept in the finished basement of the Cranford, New Jersey home and planned to leave in the morning. That night, Pariso used a 12-pound dumbbell to beat (gasps) Schmidt before strangling her. In the three months prior to the murder, Pariso had been using bath salts, a then-legal substance similar to meth Mm. that can be purchased in smoke shops and convenience stores. And so the law that was signed signed into law (laughs) in August 2013... Uh, Pamela's law made it illegal to purchase or sell the chemicals used in the production of bath salts. The drug was also designated as a controlled substance in New Jersey, like cannabis or cocaine. Although, as we know from the past month, 
cannabis is no longer on that list. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I know we talked about it when we mentioned the election because it was just passed mm-hmm. the use of recreational cannabis in New Jersey. But you know what? It's also high time, high time to uh, let the people out of jail who were using recreational cannabis in the state that it was legalized in right there's five i think i think five states had it uh on the bill yeah on the, something um, like that all of them passed yeah, it all of them passed yeah so how about we look at those five states and say all right if you were in jail because you had weed let's just you know let you out because how can you have it how can you have it legalized in that state and then still have people in jail right for it? no it's, that's pretty it's, fucked up yeah i think we can all agree on that yeah i mean if you're trying to if you're selling like coke or meth or like this bath salts yes you can hear the cat in the background i can't i'm so i'm i'm sorry i love him so much (laughs) um but yeah if you're selling any of these other drugs that are like super duper fucked up um that's a whole different story yeah but i've never heard any of these situations happening from somebody who was smoking weed no I mean, I stimulate the economy when I smoke weed because I'm buying so many fucking snacks and I'm watching fucking rented movies I would never fucking watch. I'm just full of it. So um, I think this was during a year. This was in 2011. I think it was around Mm -hmm. this time because this was when I was graduating high school. Um, I think it was around this time that there was all that talk of that guy in Florida who like ate that I guy's face. I was gonna say, he was on because salts. about that time, Florida, I believe it was also in 2011, Florida also banned bath salts and made it illegal. And I yeah, think, I think it 2011, was... Yeah, 2011 was like a big year for bath salts. Yeah, for whatever fucking reason. I don't know. I mean, I only, like, until very recently, because I grew up in a very sheltered Connecticut home, did I not realize that the bath salts you buy in the Target aisle with Dr. Teal's are not the same thing as the thing you smoke? <laughs> so, like... I mean, people smoke anything, man. It's terrible. true. Remember the whole nutmeg thing that went around for a while? People oh, were smoking you're looking nutmeg? At me, you're looking at me like you don't know that. Yes, you I mean, don't remember I that? remember the cinnamon challenge from, that's like, different. That's sophomore different. year of high school. Yeah, that's different. That's different. No, no, no. That'll like, kill you. People would smoke nutmeg, and it was a bad time, my dude. Like, nutmeg is a very strong spice. I would not want to try that. It would kill Elisa. She's allergic. Yeah, that's true. That would yeah. straight up murder her ass. Like, I mean, it sounds fall as hell, so... <laughs> that's what the inventor of pumpkin spice that's what inspired them they were high on nutmeg yes what if you could drink this yeah (laughs) be less burny on my throat maybe i wish i could bottle up this feeling oh wait (laughs) million dollar industry um so the next one is sammy's law s-a-m-i oh okay and 21-year-old University of South Carolina student, Sam- Sammy jo- Josephson, okay. Josephson mm-hmm. had called for an Uber around 2 a.m. on March 29th, 2019, oh. in Columbia, outside of a bar. She was last seen getting into a black car that was not her Uber. Yep, heard about this. Her body was found with multiple stab wounds 14 hours later in a field about 90 miles away. Yeah. Police arrested Nathaniel David Rowland, 
uh, on murder and kidnapping charges after an officer saw him driving a vehicle that matched the one seen in the surveillance video. Josephson's blood was found in the pa- in the car's passenger side and in the trunk, and her cell phone was in the passenger compartment. Sadly, uh, this is not the only incident that this happened. No. Um, so it's not an isolated incident. There needed to be a law for it. Mm-hmm. And the bill was introduced in May of 2019. It, As of uh, my research of this, it's yet to advance, but it would require ride-sharing company drivers to prominently display the lighted signs and scannable QR code as a safety regulation in light of issues tied to the ride-sharing service. Mm-hmm. The bill would criminalize misrepresentation of being a driver of a ride-sharing service nationwide. Yeah. And a similar law was enacted in New Jersey, in part because jo- Josephson was from Robbinsville, New Jersey. Oh. And that law requires uh, ride-sharing company drivers to display two illuminated signs and have a scannable QR code. Excellent. Yeah. So I didn't use Uber when it first, like, dropped, um, but... I mean, I've used it a couple of times now, but I know that, like, there's a photo of the driver, there's the license plate, there's a bunch of safeguards that you can look at. Obviously, if you're going home around 2 a.m. and you're coming out of a bar, maybe it wasn't the first bar you came out of that night. Maybe you Or maybe it was not... and you were there since open. Yeah. Like, you don't maybe, know. Maybe you're not in the right mind. Maybe you're alone and didn't go out with a group. Uh, any number of things could happen. None of it's your fault. No. You should be able to get home safely without some fucking douchebag doing something terrible. Yep. Though so if there is That's... one thing that I've learned from my life of being a very afraid woman, ask your rideshare driver, ask them what their name is. Do not ask for their name. Do not say, oh, are you Alex? Because anybody can go, yeah, I'm fucking Alex. Like, ask them for their name, and that way, like, if they can give it to you, like, for example, the odds are that if some random person is trying to pick you up and get you in their car and lure you, Mm -hmm. their name is not going to be the same as your rideshare driver. Like, that's kind of just rule of, I don't know, fucking likelihood? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I also try to never get in the, like, if I'm the only person... I don't really get in the front passenger side. Oh, I usually no, get no, no. in the back passenger side. You also have to make sure that they don't have a child safety lock on. That's yep. a little creepy. Yep. Um, but I mean, the only thing that I've done is really like screenshotted my uh my Uber confirmation of like who was picking me up at what time, blah blah blah, and I send it to a friend and be like, hey, this is who they said was picking me up. If anything happens. You call the police. You are so much nicer know. than I am because I literally, because I, I've I've taken like an Uber or a Lyft like by myself a couple of times. Um, but every time I will call whoever I'm meeting or if I'm not meeting anybody, I will call someone and pretend they're who I'm meeting and be like, hi, okay, so... I, based on what I'm seeing, I should be there in 20 minutes. Um, my driver, so that you can find me outside, is in a blue Prius. And I should be there in like 20 minutes. It shouldn't be that long of a ride. And he will be bringing me 
Um, yeah. Like, I'm like, and I'm saying it loud enough that homie can hear. Like, I'm like, you want to try this fucking shit with me? You could try this fucking shit with me, but it's not going to go well, I say, as I like snuggle up in my blankets and drink my hot cocoa and pretend that I wouldn't just dissolve into a puddle of tears if somebody tried to take in me. Taken you. Taken me. <laughs> Liam Neeson's I mean, not I- coming for me, so I'm fucked if they do. Most of the times that I've taken Ubers, I've been with other people. Yeah, but, same. But, like, in the event that I have to take it to something that I'm, like, shooting, then, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sketchy. Be obnoxious. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What are they going to do? But, give you a star? Yeah. I mean, it was only a matter of time before a, a well-mannered, like, it, it, it was well-intentioned Uber. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great service, yeah. but like any great service, it's going to be abused by douchebags. Based at some on the, point when based they figure on the out a way to shit get they've it. been pulling in California, that's debatable. But yeah, for those who don't know, California tried to pass a law um, that would have required Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, like all of the big like companies that use drivers as their employees that it would have required them to do things like pay into unemployment um provide them with like basic benefits um things like that and uber lyft doordash were the big ones that were like we don't have the money for this we don't have the money to pay these people they will all lose their jobs Uh if we don't pay if we have to pay for this. And they paid $181 million for advertisements against the bill, for flyers that they would then give to their drivers and tell them they had to include when they dropped off orders. Yeah, um, it's bullshit. Yeah, like if you've These got $181 so million dollars to spend for like a month, in advertising so that you don't have to pay people for things. And you want to know something? They did a good fucking job of it because the info that they had financed this and how much they had paid to finance this did not come out for, like, at least a month. Like, it came out shortly before Election Day. And, like, people were filling out their absentee ballots in advance, all of that. So it passed and it like they did not have to pay into unemployment or any of that anymore. Not anymore. They never were. It is. It's absolute bullshit. And I mean, it's. I mean, they they provide a service. It's very innovative. It's very smart. But at the same time, home, they're shady as fuck. Yeah. And all these like billion dollar companies getting away with like not having to do stuff that people who are making $10,000 a year have to do. Yep. Bullshit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, my next one is something that we have a whole episode about, so I won't be going too far into it, but this is Kaylee's Law. Uh, Mm C-A-Y-L-E-E. And, uh, as many of you will know, two-year-old Kaylee Anthony was missing for a month before her mother, Casey Anthony, reported her as missing to law enforcement in July 2008. Kaylee's remains were subsequently found near the Anthony home, prompting a trial in which Casey was the prime suspect. The trial garnered media and public attention for Casey's partying during the month that her daughter was missing. Casey was acquitted of the murder charges and found guilty of lying to the police. 
the police were uh, uh the public was outraged that a two-year-old could be undocumented as missing for a month with little to no repercussions from the mother um kaylee's law requires parents or guardians to report a child missing within 24 hours of their disappearance it also requires the death of a child to be reported within the hour individuals failing to adhere to these standards face felony charges with jail time that varies in the states that have adopted the law Mm. which is good and also i don't know if we talked about this in the casey anthony episode but i was listening to another podcast that was talking about casey anthony and um the police allegedly only checked her history on internet explorer not knowing that firefox was a browser oh for fuck's sake that's some florida shit if i've ever heard it yeah in the firefox browser history was like how long does it take to kill somebody with chloroform how do you hide a body um like all of this like damning information but she couldn't be charged with it because the trial was over and the police did not know to check Firefox history. See, like, I knew about the, like, after word search history that was found or whatever. I just did not know it was because they fucking didn't check Firefox. Oh, my God. Their yeah. brains are going to be fucking blasted when they learn that Chrome is a thing. Yeah. Uh, that was just from another, like, episode Damn. of uh, that case that I was listening to recently. Give and it just got out. me fired up. Less pockets on the left. Obviously. Oh, of course. La Poddle. Yeah. Yeah. La Poddle. <laughs> um, so my next one is Jennifer's Law. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Crescenti was a high school senior in Austin, Texas, 2006, when she was su- shot by her ex-boyfriend, Justin Crabb, and left to die in the woods. The two had dated for more than two years, breaking up and getting back together before Crabb murdered Crescenti. According to Crescenti's mother, quote, it was a troubled relationship. It could be fairly volatile. End quote. Crescenti's parents attempted to obtain a diploma f- uh, for their daughters uh, for their daughter from the high school, but the school refused. I so the law passed in Texas in 2007 uh, allows parents to receive their deceased child's diploma if the student was enrolled as a high school senior on track to graduate at the time of their death and had not been convicted of any felonies. Right, which is fucking. High school, this is the least you could do. Yeah, it's a piece of paper. The least you could do. It's a piece of paper. And it's high school. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like an Ivy League college. Even then it shouldn't fucking matter. No, but yeah, I was going to say, even then it shouldn't matter. I mean, it, it, I actually, a. It's not costing you any money, really. It doesn't cost any money. And for some people that could be that like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a big deal as an administrator or what have you, but it's a, it can be a huge deal for the family. And it's like saying yeah. that what that person was doing, what they were working toward, like that it didn't matter. And yeah. it's just it, I, a friend of mine from college, her brother actually, um, it was a similar incident. He was driving home from a friend's house um, during winter break like his senior year and he it's connecticut it's very icy and the car he lost control and died on impact and it was a whole thing and her she they lived a town like over from where i did and the amount of people that went to like board meetings and town like count like city council meetings and things like that because the school just straight up refused 
to give him a diploma because he didn't graduate. The kid was like an I don't, AP student, an honor student, a good athlete. Like, what does it fucking matter? It, exactly. What is the point? And it just it was so disgusting. And they didn't even want to like call his. They didn't want him in the yearbook, if I remember correctly. They didn't want to call his name out of graduation. It's not like he was a fucking drug addict or anything. Well, and it, like, also it was proven that he was not drunk when he was in the accident. He had but not even been drinking. Then, even then, it shouldn't matter for the school. Yeah, but, like, I can see how they would be like, oh, but our reputation. But it literally had nothing to do with that. It was just selfishness. They just didn't want to. That's so fucked up. Yeah. And, I mean, so I'm glad, like, uh, what I'm trying to say with this is, like, it should be a federal law. Because if, like, an entitled fucking white-ass city in Connecticut can be like, "Mm, no. Yeah. I mean, who's to say that... Anywhere else, it couldn't be the same deal. And I mean, again, it's it's a piece of paper. It is a high school diploma. Yeah, it's. I know some of these uh, like school administrators won't believe it, but there are still people in this country who are first generation graduating high school. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this could be a huge deal to this family. Right. It's like this child was like the shining star they were going to make it they were going to graduate high school yeah and they were going to do something huge and then they had to go through this horrible horrible tragedy that no one should ever have to go through and then you're not going to give them the fucking diploma it's awful fuck that no 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 yeah i don't get it so jennifer's law is doing some great stuff and it should be adopted everywhere exactly i agree um this next one's going to make you very angry. Oh, good, because I'm not already <laughs> angry enough. It's Jonathan's Law. Okay. So the Carey family suspected that their autistic son, 13-year-old oh, Jonathan Carey, great. was being abused by the staff at the Anderson School in Stottsburg. I think it's Stottsburg, New York. After being denied their son's records from the facility, they moved him to Oswald D. Heck Development Center in Nis- Nikayana, New York. Um, in February 2007, Carrie was riding in the van, uh, the school van, uh, with the OD Heck aides Edwin Tirado and Nadim Mall to visit Crossgate Shopping Center when he unbuckled his seatbelt in the moving vehicle. While Mall continued driving, Tirado restrained Carrie with an improper hold that suffocated the child to death. The two men continued to drive for more than an hour with Carrie's body in the in the van. Carrie's family stated that Tirado and Mall should have should not have been employed by the state facility since one was a felon and the other had been fired from four positions involving working with disabled people. Toronto received a sentence of five to 15 years after being found guilty of manslaughter in 2007 and Maul pled guilty to charges of criminally negligent homicide in that same year. So Jonathan's law signed into legislation on March 26, 2009 made it mandatory for New York State facilities to provide requested patient records to families and alert them of any incidents involving said patient. It also stated, uh, it also created a task force on mental hygiene records to continually study and suggest improvements for legislation of patient record access. It also tasked the Commission on Quality Care and Advocacy for Persons with Disabilities, CQCAPD, Uh, with providing resources to patient families outlining their rights under Jonathan's law. The CQCAPD also became responsible for notifying families when 
substantiated evidence of abuse or neglect was found concerning their child. And this seems like, why did this even need to happen? Why couldn't the family get their kids' records? Like, you can, if my parents went to my high school and asked for, like, my uh, records of, like, disciplinary action or uh, my grade point average, I'm going to guarantee that they could get it. So this kid, 13 years old, autistic, I, I didn't say like what his uh, vocal level was, yeah. if he was Whether able he was to vocalize. Yeah. If he, he was able to vocalize if he was being abused or not. That, that information should be given to the family. And also... You hired felons? You hired people who were let go from four different positions for working with disabled people. Do you know how hard it is for some regular ass person to find a job and you're giving a job working with disabled people to someone who has proven again, 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 and again that they can't be in that position of work? That's fucked up. I'm not defending it, though I will say... It is a lot more common than you think, and I believe it, it is, which is partially horrible. due to the fact that a lot of people don't want to work with teenagers and adults with intellectual disabilities. Um, yeah, it is uh, my 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 for, for those who didn't understand why Haley said I was going to be pissed. My brother's autistic, and it to to even find him care after his adult program is uh, incredibly difficult because he's and not your a family lives, little kid. Your family lives in Connecticut and are, I mean, comfortably My, well off. Oh, no, they're comfortable. It's, a, it's not a case of being able to pay them. It's a case but of nobody wants think, to work with... They want to yeah, work with the cute of, little kids. They don't want to work the with the 23-year-old men who were never taught how to adequately direct their frustration when they cannot yeah. appropriately communicate. And n- people, people don't want that. They don't want a job. They want, th- they don't want a job like that. They they well, want something with less difficulty. Well, all the, the people that I, I know a lot of people that went into um, special education, um, but it was always for like the younger kids. Yeah. But all the girl, all the people that I know that did it are girls who are about five four. Yep, and Tiny. like a hundred pounds, soaking wet. And like, how do you, like, they're not going to be able to overpower. Oh, you'd be surprised. A, I don't know. So one of the things that you touched on was that they had put um, Jonathan in an improper hold. Yes. And so what these are called? They're called protective holds, and there is a certain way to do them that simultaneously anybody can i shouldn't say anybody but where the majority are capable of putting a person into this hold regardless of age and size um it's something i believe that social workers may also be trained to do um anyone that's working with somebody who's mentally uh, this yes like they should be taught um intellectually disabled any any neuro atypical type it's it's a very common thing but 
it can be done wrong. Like there have been times where my brother through no fault of his own has been put into a hold and come home with bruises. Huge, like yeah. fucking granted, like he and I are both, um, we bruise like a goddamn fucking peach. Um, him even more so, I was just talking to Michael today about like how sensitive, he, like my skin is very sensitive. Like you and I have, you have seen this. I mean, we yes. know. His is more sensitive than mine even. Mm. Um, like, like just absolutely very sensitive, very easily bruised, flushed, what have you. And I mean, it's very, it it's, it's one thing to be trained in how to do this. It's another to have that capacity to be able to take the training and apply it appropriately in the moment. Well, I think there's three main problems wrong with this story. One, the family couldn't get, they were denied records from the facility. And that, that's a problem. That's It's not just a problem. That's often a signal of, in some regard, if not they have something to hide if they're if, not going to give you I was going to say if not complicity they they they're I obviously like my my family is part of the autism community we've heard so many horror stories from people we know who yeah. haven't been able to obtain the records turns out their nonverbal child is being sexually abused I know um, that's like fucking horrible Oh it is but that's <sighs> And again, it goes back to, I'm not saying it's right, but a lot of these facilities are already grossly understaffed, understaffed yeah. so they take whoever they can. They're underfunded, so they don't have the resources to be like, okay, well, what's this person's deal? Um, yeah. Like, Connecticut is a very wealthy state, like, all across the board. Like, not, like yeah. obviously, there are neighborhoods that are not as wealthy, that are not as well off, but across the board, they're pretty well funded, and my brother's program is being shut down at the end of the year because of lack of funding. Yeah. Like it's, it, and it, the wait lists for a, adult homes are like astronomically long because yeah. there's not enough funding to get enough beds and there's not enough people to employ. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's such a broken system. Yeah. you And I would imagine, I mean, I'm not part of the, the, autism community so i don't have all of the information but i would imagine that for a um a facility that handles a large number of autistic patients you need a bigger staff than you would yes in just a regular classroom of kids that are of standard uh learning capability i don't know how, how you would word that it, it, it neuroatypical is often what okay. what's used um but it's often, I mean, ideally one to one, but even like two yeah. to one, three to one. Um, just but even it's, then, it's can you imagine? One teacher can't. Well, yeah, can you imagine if it's if it's one to three kids. and two of those people are having a breakdown at yeah. the same time? Oh, I can. How, oh, what do you do? You it's, do your best. It's fucking crazy. Sometimes your brother comes home with bruises. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, the three things that are wrong with this story is they can't get the records, the improper hold, which you should be trained in multiple times. Like when I was a lifeguard, we had to practice drills a million times. So you should have to practice this stuff a million times. And and not even just practice. I mean, some people just 
are not good in the moment. And it's not a criticism. It's not a reflection of them and their character. It's just, it is some people, it's like fight or flight. Yeah. Some people freak out in the moment. Some people freeze. Some people, like, the adrenaline hits them and they get too rough. And it it's just... But that's what the multiple training is for. Well, that's what like, the multiple training is for, but also it... it sh that should be a... Uh, the, the ability to be cool under pressure should be a quality that is taken with more importance that is seen yeah. as being a valuable quality because there are plenty of people who are great with like i mean i have friends who are absolutely wonderful who have been so kind with my brother but also i know just from knowing them in the moment i would not be able to say hey can you help me real quick with this if he were to have a meltdown yeah because it's just it's it's i mean and it's again it's not a criticism it's just you have to take the entirety it's it's not an easy job and it takes a special yeah. kind of person and it, it takes certain characteristics that not everybody has but when you are in such a broken system and underfunded system and understaffed system there isn't that high a level of an of attention to detail yeah and that's how improper holds happen and people get hurt or worse yeah and just the last point before we move on to the next one, yeah. um, hiring a felon and somebody who was fired from four different positions involving working with disabled people. I'm not saying a felon should never get a job. That's 100% not what I'm saying. Well, and it also depends on the crime. It, yeah, it depends on the crime. <clears throat> I think everybody has a, a chance to be rehabilitated. That's what fucking prison is for. Yeah. Uh, people shouldn't just be in there to rot. Everyone should be able to get out and, and do good work and show that they have been rehabilitated. It's more the person who was fired from four other positions. Yes. Working with the, if you were hot, if you were fired from four different grocery stores, the fifth one is not hiring you. No. Because they're going to look at your resume and say, go fuck. Like not even, you can't do this job. Here. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do this job. So if you're hot, if you're fired from four similar places, the fifth one is either a fucking idiot for hiring you or like you said they're so severely understaffed they're just going to be taking bodies which yeah. i mean is more of a a failing of the system than the the place but like i mean we can go around this like for an entire episode but like there's so I many would really problems. prefer not to though <laughs> i know there's so many problems with this story um but hopefully jonathan's law can um save more people I, I um, sincerely hope so. That's another one that I think should just be taken to the federal level. Yeah, exactly. Um, my next one is Jessica's Law. And in Florida, on the night of February 23rd, 2005, John Cooey entered the bedroom of his neighbor, nine-year-old Jessica Lunsford. Nope. And told her to come with him. Nope. Yeah, horrible. My literal nightmare. Cooey led Lunsford to his sister's trailer and sexually assaulted the little girl repeatedly over the course of three days. Cooey, who is surprising to no one, a convicted sex offender, then buried Lunsford alive uh, near his sister's trailer where police found her remains on March 19th, 2005. Remember I said she was originally taken on February 23rd? Yeah. She was found on March 19th. Yeah. That is quite too, some time later. Yeah, too long. 
Uh, he was convicted of burglary, kidnapping, sexual battery, first degree murder uh, in March 2007 and later sentenced to death before succumbing to cancer in 2009. Mm, and terrible. the law, Florida, Florida, Florida Order. Governor Jeb Bush signed oh, Jessica's law in 2005. Uh, it provides harsh mandatory penalties for criminals convicted of specific sexual crimes committed against children aged 11 or under. After the mandatory prison sen- sentence is served, those convicted under Jessica's law are tracked by GPS for the rest of their lives. As uh, And I think that should be the case for yeah. everyone. I mean, I don't know how you make the distinction. Not for everyone, everyone. Under. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're doing it to ourselves. We all have cell phones, so. I, I mean. <laughs> we're voluntarily paying thousands of dollars to have ourselves tracked. Fuck, but that's, that's for the conspiracy theory episode. Yeah, we got a Nest Mini on Prime Day, and I'm already like, let's get another one. It's listening to all of our conversations. They can only hear us in the living room. Let's put one yeah. in the office. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, the fact that it... it um, I'm going to read it again. Criminals yeah. convicted of specific sexual crimes committed against children aged 11 or under. So you're telling me that if something horrific happens to a child age 12, this doesn't apply? It should be anyone yeah. under the age of 18. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, and even that, I understand that that can be messy too because there's always the occasional story of a vindictive parent pressing charges because they're... 16 17 year old daughters 18 year old boyfriend had sex with them um yeah but at the same time i mean i'm largely but it's specific sexual crimes yes it's not just like you were unhappy that your child had sex at too young of an age i mean well and i wouldn't even say it's too young of an age i mean it depends on the child's maturity level more so than their age and obviously that they're not having sex with like a 36 year old man at the age of 16 like it it's or or woman um but yeah it should be it should be a wider a, a larger scale yeah and I mean, it's just something where, like, I mean, they, I remember the when we moved into our first apartment in New Haven, there was, I, I was overly diligent and was like, okay, we're going to look up the crime rating. We're going to look up the types of crimes. We're going to look up this. We're going to look up that. And one of the things I looked up were, like, local sex offenders and, and pretty much anybody who committed a sex crime that lived in the neighborhood. And for those who want to look up themselves, I'm sorry in advance in case there's something you might find out, but it's called Neighborhood Watchdog. And it will tell you. There's also another one, which is my next uh, my next law. Look at so us. That'll, look at that. Look at it us. Slips right in. Who would have thought? Um, Not me. So the next one is Megan's Law. And Megan Conka was seven years old and living with her parents in New Jersey when neighbor Jesse Timid- Timendiquas. Sure. I don't, I don't care to say his name correctly because he's a say, piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, he approached her on July 29th, 1994 with promises of showing her a puppy mm. in his house. Uh, he was a twice convicted sex offender that sexually assaulted and murdered Conca before leaving her body to be found in Mercer County Park the next day. So Megan's Law was added to the existing Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children Act by President Bill Clinton on May 17th, 1996, and we'll get to that act in a second. 
And this requires states to notify residents in a neighborhood if a convicted sex offender moves in nearby. Yeah. Some states provide a database that can be accessed to determine if any sex offenders are living in close proximity, while others actively uh, send notices to residents. So I know at least in New Jersey, because this crime happened in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. you can search Megan's Law. uh, It's like a website that you can input Mm -hmm. your address and find uh, sex offenders and everything. So... There's a couple different websites. Um, some of them you can find under Megan's Law. Some of them will be like Neighborhood Watchdog right. that you can find. Um, but they all pretty much do the same thing. You can get information on who's living around you. And it's horrifying if you want to go ahead and look it up. To especially a if you recognize a face. To a de- Well, that, yes. But to a degree. Because, I mean, I, like, in our first apartment, I, like, and... I, I, I made the one mistake. I liked the apartment so much that I was that I was too excited that I completely like it slipped my mind to look. And I was like, cool, I'm going to be very cute and very alone for a significant portion of the day. And I didn't even look this up. So I went to look it up and it said that there was a sex offender who lived next door, like in the next building. Oh. Yeah. So on, obviously I freaked the fuck out. Well, then I, I realized when we were moving in, yeah, the the place of residence where he was listed as being you know a a resident was a red cross there should be yes there should be it should you should it, it obviously if he was able to put down that the red cross was his place of residence something is broken there yeah but you should also check like i know on megan's law you can see i th- i don't know if you can see the exact crime because that'd be a lot yeah. but i think you could see the severity of the crime because yeah. i know like peeing in public is considered a sex, a sex crime. crime yeah i think neighborhood watchdog does that too if i'm not mistaken but i mean and even like there needs to be harsher punishment for not making your residence known i mean i i have friends who have small children and they thankfully didn't find out in too hard of a way, but they would see like a neighbor being creepy and then would find out, oh, he's a sex offender and never told anybody. He moved back in with his parents and yeah. nobody ever told anybody. And like, n- no, 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 no. That's not how any of this should work. Not that I'm I'm yeah. not saying that people shouldn't be able to look it up, but it also should be something that is readily available information. Like, everybody yeah. should be notified in some capacity. I'm not saying it's got to be, like, on SVU where they go door to door and with their parole officer and are like, hello, my name is Bob. I'm a registered sex offender. Like, yeah. you don't have to do that. But yeah. just, it, it's, it's, that's good. Megan's Law Yeah, no one should important. have to find out the hard way. Yeah, no one should have to find out the hard way. And it's, it, I mean, even, it goes back to even Jonathan's Law. Like... it's people like this do end up in jobs where people who are incapable of communicating yeah or people who are otherwise vulnerable because i mean it isn't even just it it could be a janitor at a school it could be a nurse at a at an old folks home like it's yeah exactly it's it's not just I mean, it's so widespread. It's just, that's really what it comes down to. And yeah. Megan's Law is is wonderful, and but we need we need more of it. Yeah. Well, without there being added, more Megan's. Uh, yeah. Megan's Law was added to the existing Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children Act. And we talked right. about Jacob, Jacob Wetterling yes. in a previous episode. 
Um, so 11-year-old Jacob Wetterling was riding his bike with his brother and friend on the evening of October 22, 1989. Danny Heinrich uh, spotted the trio and by his own account waited for the boys to ride past him again. When they did, Heinrich popped out of the shadows with a mask on and a gun in his hand. He made the boys tell him their names and how old they were before sending Wetterling's brother and friend away, threatening to kill them if they turned back. Heinrich's handcuffed Wetterling and drove off with him in the car to the edge of Painesville, Minnesota, where there was a field, a nearby gravel pit, and a wooded area. Heinrich sexually assaulted the boy before telling him to put his clothes back on. When a police car passed the pair, Heinrich panicked and shot Wetterling in the head. He buried Wetterling with a bobcat from a local construction site before later returning to the scene to gather the child's remains and rebury it in a deeper grave. And so in 1994, Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registry Act made it mandatory for states to maintain a database of convicted sex offenders and keep it updated with their residency information. Mm-hmm. So it's only been since 1994, but... Yeah, 26 um, years. Yeah. So, I mean, Megan's Law was added to it. Hopefully there doesn't need to be too much more of that because no. it's fucking horrible. But... um yeah, any like we've said before, anything with children is a fucking huge bummer. Fucking ugh, yeah, nightmare. Um, my next one is Marcy's Law, and Marcy Nicholas and Carrie Conley had dated for several years before twenty-one-year-old Nicholas ended things in November nineteen eighty-three. Nicholas and Conley were not only in a relationship, but they were neighbors in the Point Doom community of malibu california Mm -hmm. on november 30th 1983 conley allegedly lured nicholas into his home before shooting her in the head with a shotgun nicholas was pronounced dead at the hospital and conley was arrested a few days later nicholas's parents entered a local grocery store and came face to face with conley who had been released on bail without the victim's parents being made aware So Marcy's law passed in 2008 in California. Remember, this crime happened in 1983. Right. The law was passed in 2008. It requires states to keep victims' families informed about the court proceedings and bail arrangements of the accused. In the case of murder, victims' families must be notified if the suspected murderer is released from police custody. It also allows the victims' families to be heard in court proceedings. Other minutiae of the law provide rights to victims' families, allowing them to refuse to provide information or evidence to defense attorneys and avoid hearings. Again, something that should never have to happen is you have to come face-to-face with your child's murderer in a grocery store. No, absolutely not. That's fucking horrifying. Why should that even be... A risk. Right. Yeah. Like, what do you think? They shouldn't be made aware? Obviously, like, this is a severe case because they were neighbors. But even if you live in the same town or even a big city, like if it was New York City, you can run into people there. I wouldn't even say that. Who's to say they wouldn't come? Like, let's say you didn't even live in the state anymore. Who's to say they can't look you up? Go to your state. Like, not even, not necessarily to finish the job, but maybe they're just not fully there. Yeah, maybe they, maybe they or wanna, maybe like, they want to make amends, like, and that's not something you want. Yeah, especially out of the blue. Yeah, I, I when I you feel didn't like even know they were released. Yeah, so that one's fucking terrible. All of these are fucking terrible. Yeah, uh, I think this is the last one of the episodes that we've already covered, but we have the Matthew Shepard Act, mm-hmm. 
And like we said in our Matthew Shepard episode, 21-year-old Matthew Shepard was an openly gay man attending college at the University of Wyoming in 1998 while hanging out in a bar on the night of October 6th and through the early hours of October 7th, 1998, Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney approached Shepard. The three men talked and then Shepard willingly left with the pair in McKinney's father's truck. McKinney and Henderson drove Shepard to an isolated spot where they pistol whipped his skull, kicked him in the genitalia, tied him to a split rail fence and left him to die. Shepard was discovered 15 to 18 hours later by a cyclist and then taken to a hospital where he died from his injuries after a few days. McKinney and Henderson were both sentenced to two consecutive life sentences in prison. And suspecting Shepard's assault was a hate crime based on his sexual orientation, which, duh, it was. Mm. The Matthew Shepard Act was signed into law by President Barack Obama on October 28, 2009, the law provides monetary and educational resources to law enforcement agencies for the investigation and prosecution of hate crimes. It also makes it illegal to attempt to cause harm, injury, or death to individuals under one of six protected classes. So it's disgusting that I had to take that long because obviously um, shit like this was happening for quite some time before this. Oh, yeah. And it had to be this horrific of a case for people to finally be like, hey, maybe we should be protecting some people. Yeah, that somebody had to die. Yeah, many people had to die before anybody took notice of this. Um, but we have an entire episode on Matthew Shepard. Yes. So go ahead and listen to that. Um, my next one is, I think I have one. Two, I have two more. Okay. So this one and one more. The Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act, and I will be doing an episode on this in the future at some point. I can't guarantee when, but sometime. Um, so this is a spark-noted version. Adam Walsh was only six years old when he went missing in Florida uh, in a mall on July 27, 1981. Although his mother had been shopping only aisles away, Odyssey Tool was able to grab the child and evade ground and air searches performed by law enforcement 16 days after Adam went missing, uh, his severed head was found by some fishermen near the state turnpike. Adam's parents, John and uh, Reva Walsh, began working towards strengthening the laws that protected children from abductors four days after they buried their son. They pushed the Missing Children's Act that was enacted in 1982 and co-founded the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, John became the host of America's Most Wanted in 1988, presenting fugitives um from the law and weekly and ask viewers to help track them down so president george w bush signed the adam walsh child protection and safety act on july 27 2006 and the act took the sex offenders registries of multiple states and combined them into one entity so that they could be accessed across the entire u.s which should be a no-brainer why should one state be able to keep it? Yeah. Obviously, you could travel from state to state. Uh -huh. So this means whatever. So like we had just said, this meant that a registered sex offender moving from Ohio would still have their criminal history available to the authorities in Texas. The act created education funding for state and local authorities to assist them in recognizing and policing attempts to victimize minors via the Internet, which um, in 2006... This is the year that YouTube started. This is the, the year that lots of people, like, it's kind of ubiquitous to have a computer. I mean, when my family got a computer in, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, like, it wasn't 
a guarantee that everyone had one. I mean, it still isn't a guarantee that everyone has one. Right. But um, it's so common now right. to have a computer and for uh, nefarious things to be happening. And, and not even necessarily computer, but computer access. Like often schools yeah. will have computers or libraries will have computers. I mean, it's hard to find you a phone a now that doesn't house. have yeah. a computer. Yeah. Oh, you want to find one? Go to my grandma's house. Oh gosh. <laughs> she's like, I think I should get an iPhone. And my parents who pay for the plane that she's on go, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the law also presented mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines, implemented harsher sentences for crimes against children, and provided resources via grants to assist states in keeping sexual offenders with a low probability of rehabilitation off the streets. And yeah, the Adam Walsh case is awful it's and you know what if it sounds familiar it's a very similar mo to what happened with um eaten pats eaten pates no not no not eaten pates who i kept calling eaten pats god fucking uh fuck it's the one that i talked about in the uk the little two-year-old boy that was taken from a shopping center yes by by the the little boys. boys yes yeah. Oh, fuck. James and Bolger. I was going to say, Kim is yelling at us right now, going, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, when I was reading about the case, I was like, holy shit, this is the same thing that happened to James Bolger. And you'll notice I said Otis Tool. Uh, if you are familiar with Henry Lee Lucas and mm-hmm. Otis Tool, some people will say Otis. It's spelled with two T's. So lots of podcasts I listened to said that that's Otis, not Otis. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going with Otis. Sure. And I'm sure I'll get shit for that when I cover Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, but that's the information that I had. I was going to say that you could obviously, like, figure it out more permanently or definitively by the time you cover Adam Walsh, but we both know that this will immediately fly out of both of our brains as soon as we stop recording. (laughs) Again... Last podcast on the left. I don't need to plug them anymore. Um, the but they did a series on Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool, and our, they constantly said Otis. So now it's stuck in my head. Right. But I can't say Otis now. Well, <laughs> so, and, and they're even very knowledgeable. In Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, he refers to him as Otis. So I don't know what the fuck it is. I'm going to say Otis. I don't Give me know. Hate if you want. Uh, so my last one is the Reagan Tokes Act. And Tokes was a 21-year-old student at the Ohio State University, and she was abducted while leaving her job in Columbus's downtown by Brian Goldsby. Mm-hmm. Goldsby robbed and raped Tokes and forced her to drive to the Scioto Grove Metro Park. Uh, there, he forced her to strip naked and marched her into a field where he shot her twice in the head. Goldsby had recently been released from prison where he had served a six-year sentence for kidnapping a pregnant woman and her child and raping the woman. Yeah. Uh, Should be more than six years for that, but... Yeah. Uh, He had pled down to robbery robbery and attempted rape. Attempted? He was staying... Yeah. He was staying at a temporary housing program. The officials at the housing program and his parole officer did not monitor him, and he violated probation and committed six robberies without being arrested before murdering Tokes. Six robberies? Really? Maybe the first one, you can be like, oh, we, like, dropped the ball. We missed the ball on that one. But, like, six? Six. Six Six is too many. Six. Six and then a murder. Yep. Whatever. Technically, also a robbery. 
Yeah. So seven. In 2018, the Reagan Tokes Act was introduced in the uh, Ohio House and Senate. In December 2018, part of the Reagan Tokes Act was signed into law by Governor John Kasich. It requires judges to sentence offenders responsible for class one and two felonies, which are the most serious felonies in Ohio, to a range of years in prison consisting of a minimum term and a maximum term. So if the offender is being sentenced for a single offense, the maximum term is the minimum term plus 50%. For example, a judge imposes a minimum term of four years. The maximum term would be four years plus 50%, making the term six years. If the offender is given several terms to be served concurrently or consecutively, the maximum sentence adds 50% to the longest minimum term for the most serious felonies they are being sentenced for. So it's a lot of math. But yep. <laughs> hopefully going to keep people who do terrible things uh, in jail and hopefully get rehabilitated if they can be. But it seems like this guy fucking won't. Nope. Sometimes it's... Fool me twice, shame on me, unfortunately. Yeah, but it shouldn't take a, a somebody's life to... Oh, absolutely not. Prove that. Absolutely not. There should be more analysis or something when you... Like, when considering whether to bring this person on parole. Yeah. And like you said at the beginning of the episode, then there are people who were imprisoned for marijuana and... I mean, they're still there. They're still there. Yeah. Yeah. And while everyone is celebrating that it's it's legal, me included. Like obviously, like Oh, of course. I'm excited. Yeah. It's legal in my state, but like I I don't want to be excited if people are still in jail for something that like we're going to be able to do at parties now. Yeah. Like that's fucked up. No. Yeah. It's it shouldn't be that way. And I, I obviously I don't know the full history on it, but I wonder if bootleggers were given the same like treatment if they were kept in jail after the prohibition in the United States. Uh, maybe if we remember. Um, we can... <laughs> so no. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, we can do an episode where we cover um, things that were illegal and then made legal and then find out what happened uh in the interim yeah but yeah. we'll forget somebody somebody if dm any- us and remind us <laughs> yeah if you actually want to hear an episode like that um let us know well i definitely want to do an episode on that just because i have a pseudo connection to the prohibition <gasps> ocean i love hey. when we have a connection and it's not that i don't drink nice try everybody but yeah Anywho, so that is that. Obviously, there are so many more laws um, that were named after people. I mean, there's another Jersey one um, that requires you to have that little red sticker on your license plate when you're um, under the age of 18. I forgot what it's called. It starts with a K, I think. I didn't look that one up because... Uh, no, I didn't look that one up because it's, I, I guess I just blanked on it, but it was one, I think it was, Kay, I thought it was Kaylee. Carrie? No. Something like that. Casey? But, Cassie? Um, it could be Casey. Caitlin? No. Ah, it's never Caitlin. Um, but yeah, it requires you to have like this little red Velcroed sticker 
on your your license plate if you're under the age of 18 because i think ah. the girl was like driving on a um highway no she was driving on like a back road one of those like Service licenses road. that's not your actual license oh 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 permit learner's permit not a permit it's the other one what other one you've got your license there's a so permit and then there's the other one i don't know what your license is. the like the under 21 license yeah, sorry. There's action happening behind me. Yeah, I know. I um, don't quite know what it is, but <laughs> yeah. But there's a whole story with that. Um, anyway, there's so much happening that um, I need to go and deal with this creature. <laughs> He's such this a beast. good buddy. He's so handsome. Him, him, little tuxedo with his little Marilyn Monroe freckle. His favorite toy currently is his own tail. So. Oh! At least it's not the Papa's on chair anymore. No, he he loves the legs of stuff, <laughs> not of people. He attacks the legs of our coffee table and of this like little circle chair that we have, and um, the legs of our dining room table. Legs fascinate him. He's a leg Just, man. <laughs> he's a leg man. But he, you should have seen the gymnastics he was doing on the legs of this Papa's on chair. I um, did see. He's very talented. Uh, yes, you got very lucky. That you have such a talented yeah. boy. A talented bebe. Yes, a bebe. A bebe. Um, so I'm going to go snug him. Please do. Give him a snug for me and for all of us. One from each of us. Okay, good. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> and on that note, we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.